Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hokies Press Pass Podcast. We've got a special uh, episode here for you. Normally we have Aaron McFarland and myself, Andy Bitter, the Virginia Tech football beat writer at the Roanoke Times, here talking to you. Uh, instead, this time we're bringing in a special guest. That special guest is a recruiting expert uh, from VT Scoop, Evan G. Watkins, uh, at Evan G. Watkins 247. Is that right, Evan? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, yeah, give him a follow on Twitter. The VT Scoop, those guys are as plugged in on uh, recruiting as uh, anybody is on this beat, I would say. They usually have pretty much everything first on the recruiting front that's coming out with this. Uh, Evan, thanks for joining me. Uh, you know, I, I think we'll start out with at least my first question would be, uh, how has this new early signing period sort of affected things? Like, it's weird. There's, there's the, the signing day is coming up, and it's the one that in the past there's been all the hoopla and everybody has been excited about. Uh, this year, it seems to be a little bit more tame, uh, at least from the fact that you know 90% of the guys, at least in Virginia Tech's class, have already signed. Uh, what's kind of the feeling that you've gotten out there talking to some of these recruits? You know, I think a lot of the recruits really like it. Um, I've gotten a couple mixed feelings from some, some coaches at various schools about it, but a lot of the recruits seem to like it, uh, mainly because they can get their recruitment over with. You know, a lot of, a lot of people probably don't realize that the recruitment process is long. Some of these kids have been, re- been recruited for four years, you know, three to four years from various schools, various staffs, and it can get tiring. So, you know, when you make a verbal commitment, your recruitment really doesn't end that day. It doesn't end, you know, with that school. You still could change your mind. Other schools could entice you to uh, to flip and things like that. So a lot of recruits, especially the guys that were already committed and had been committed for a long time across the nation, went ahead and signed their letter of intent. Not only does it lock you into that spot with the school, um, but it, it makes it where other schools are not going to contact you. They can't contact you. And that really just kind of makes the process a lot easier for a lot of the kids. Um, you know, some of the coaches that I've that I've spoken with have mixed feelings on it um, because depending on the size of the school, uh, you know, it could be an advantage or a disadvantage. You know, there might be some players that are committed to a smaller school uh, who, you know, the early signing period comes and they decide not to sign where a bigger school maybe in-state misses on someone, they might be able to go in and poach those kids because they're unsigned. Um, it, and it kind of gives an extra boost of a recruiting period, if you would, to uh, to some of the bigger schools. So I do think that there's a little bit of a downside there. Um, you know, what we're seeing across the industry, a lot of the kids did sign. makes a lot of things easier, uh, in my opinion, on the staffs out there that are still recruiting. Um, you know, Virginia Tech, for example, limited their uh, their their target pool, you know, exponentially by signing almost their entire class early. It gave them the opportunity to focus their full attention on the remaining 2018 prospects, about five or six of them, and then focus solely on 2019 class and beyond, even some 2020, 2021 offers coming out. So, you know, I think it helps uh, both the, the the recruit and the the coaching staff at the Power 5 level. I'm not sure it's a major advantage to some of the players or coaches uh, that are maybe in the lower ranks. But for for the most part, you know, I personally like it. I think that it it was a much-needed change. Um, I think I maybe would have done it a little earlier than December. But, you know, I I like the change as it is now. I I like the way it affected a lot of the recruitments across the country. And it kind of makes the final stretch towards signing day a little bit more fun you know, in my opinion. 
Yeah, that's always sort of the joke that people did when when a guy gives his verbal commitment. Uh, the coaches out there go, "Oh, now I know who we're competing against. Uh, this is the primary competition we have." Uh, you mentioned how it, it kind of amps things up here leading into the February signing day. I think it's really interesting. You look at some of these teams that uh, change coaches in December, don't necessarily have a ton of commitments right now. I think Florida State has 15. Uh, Florida Florida has 16. Tennessee has 17. I think Nebraska has filled out its class a little bit now with Scott Frost. But there's an ample amount of room in a lot of those classes uh, for these coaches to sign new guys. What, what have you seen? out of that with these new coaches? Has this sort of been a, a key stretch for them to fill out this first signing class since, uh, quite honestly, they didn't have a ton of commitments that were already in there when they took over? Yeah, you know, I think um, it, it obviously depends on when the new coaches are hired, um, but it, it does kind of make it a grind. That's like it did with any coaching staff when they, you know, like when Justin Fuente came into Virginia Tech, uh, you know, he, he had that couple of couple of months, about two months before signing day back then to really fill out the class. Um, you know, the, the disadvantage of the early signing period is, you know, what about those players that may have signed early, you know, with a program and then their coach gets fired uh, or, or retires, you know, or the life before the next signing period, then you might have the issue of players getting some releases and, and things like that. But, you know, I think that across the country, I mean, Nebraska is one of them. You saw, uh, you know, everybody in the recruiting industry saw when Scott Frost got there, he was offering anybody and everybody because it was a dire need to get that class locked up and get as much talent as he could. Um, you know, especially once the early signing period hits and you're looking between early signing period and the regular signing period, the talent pool no doubt gets smaller, but the competition probably gets a little bit more intense. So you want to sign as many of your players as you can early lock them up, make sure that they're good to go, give them time to focus on their academics as well, not have to worry about recruitment, and it gives you a smaller target, you know, target pool to really focus all of your attention on. Um, you know, it, it, for guys like me that cover recruiting, it it's, makes it a little bit more fun. When you have to track 30 kids uh, for regular signing period, it can be, you know, it could be a little daunting on us covering it, we're not the coaches going out there and actually recruiting and hitting the road and doing all of that. So I'm, I'm very much a proponent for the early signing period. I like the way that it's, it's filled out. And I think most coaching staff, especially at the power five ranks would probably agree um, to that right now. Even the ones that came in in December, maybe, uh, you know, had a little bit of time to go ahead and lock up some spots. Even if you locked up, you know, five or 10% of your class, that's, five or ten percent of your class you don't have to focus on over the next month so that you can focus on the guys that you really need to get in there um, so i think it's a win-win all around at the at the power five level for sure yeah i'd be curious to check out sort of like recruiting budgets and, and you know you try to keep 30 guys in the class happy it's, it's just this mad dash up the signing day and these coaches are sleeping at airports and on the road the whole time not not to say they're not now but with a smaller pool of guys with that sense of urgency right before that february signing period uh, I, I figured the, the the money that they'd be spending on this would be a little bit less. I don't know if they just shift that to, to future classes or exactly how that works. Uh, let's shift gears. I mean, you, you kind of talked about February coming up here, uh, the, the February 7th signing date, I should say. Uh, Virginia Tech has 25 commitments. 23 of those guys have already signed. So, I mean, you're talking about a very small group of guys uh, that, you know, you're still looking out for. Uh, Javon Becton uh, committed the other day. Uh, Cam Good 
uh, did not sign at the early period, uh, still listed as a Virginia Tech commitment. Do you, you expect him to sign with the Hokies uh, in a week? Absolutely. You know, that was there are some high schools that decided that they didn't want their kids to sign early and they wanted to celebrate all of the school signings together. Um, you know, that's something that has happened at his high school. Uh, I, I fully anticipate him, uh, you know, signing and enrolling at Virginia Tech. Uh, he, he's a guy that's been on board, you know, ever since he committed, even before he committed, he was, he was a guy that was out there recruiting others to try and help try and uh, come to Virginia Tech with him. So, He's a guy that's pretty much locked in. I don't, I don't really have any worries with him signing Virginia Tech. I think that's a pretty much a done deal. I hope they don't do one of those signing ceremonies where they have like 55 kids in the auditorium and they know like the marquee guy is the last one and everybody's waiting and watching the live stream for that. And they're like, we're going to start at the end. And then they go, Prosberg State and all this other stuff that they go through takes a good 15 minutes on the live stream after the – you know, athletic director or whatever gives his little 10-minute speech at the beginning. They really milk that sort of moment, I think. Sometimes they can just get straight to the point, uh, at least for us reporters who are watching Absolutely. the whole thing. Uh, Dax Hollyfield, we are recording this on Thursday night. I'm going to post it on Friday morning. Uh, I think Dax Hollyfield's uh, recruitment has been uh, something of intrigue for a lot of schools here coming down the stretch. I, I'm not quite sure exactly if there is a front runner uh, among the group. But Virginia Tech, obviously, in the mix. Stanford, UNC, it sounds like Clemson uh, made a push at least to sort of uh, try to get in there at the end. What's the latest on him, and what do you kind of see as his outlook and Virginia Tech's chances with him? Right now, uh, Virginia Tech's actually in home with him right now. Um, Justin Fuente and a couple of his assistants are in there, you know, talking with him now and, uh, and, you know, hoping to go ahead and get this thing done and, and, you know, get him committed. He's a guy... For as long as I've covered Virginia Tech recruiting, I've never seen Bud Foster recruit like this. I've never seen him hone in on the guy like this, and that's his guy. And this just hasn't been for a few months. This has been for a few years. You know, he's been all about Dax Hollyfield. Dax Hollyfield has visited Virginia Tech over 20 times. Um, you know, there's there's still talk that he, you know, could could come up and visit Blacksburg again before signing period, but before the early sign or the regular signing period uh, in about a week. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of schools in the mix, but over the last two to three years, Virginia Tech has been mentioned, North Carolina has been mentioned, Stanford's been mentioned. Those are the three. South Carolina was in there a little bit. Alabama was in there a little bit. Clemson's been in and out. But the three that have always stuck out, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and Stanford, when it comes down to it, they all have great advantages. They all have disadvantages. Um, you know, Stanford's an elite education, but it's on the West Coast. Uh, Dax does not seem to me like the type of player that's going to pack up and move across the country. Not saying that won't happen, not saying Stanford's out. I would be a little surprised if he did that. He just never seemed to be that kind of guy. I thought he would always stay a little bit local. And UNC and Virginia Tech give him that opportunity. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of ties to the state of North Carolina. That UNC is a local school for him, the in-state school. So, you know, that's that's a program to watch out for. Virginia Tech has made him one of the biggest priorities I've ever seen. Um, and he truly does love Bud Foster. Uh, and getting a chance to play for Bud Foster, he's seen what Tremaine Edmonds has done. He's seen the linebacker history. He's been through the whole, the whole spiel of, playing for, for Bud Foster, playing in that defense. Um, you know, I think that's the big draw for him at Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, Clemson is a school that 
came in late. They didn't really recruit him, which is interesting because Clemson's done really well in that area. They've done really well at that high school. But they didn't really recruit him at all until about a few months ago. They started recruiting him, but he never took an official visit. He is really good friends with K.J. Henry. I know that's a name Virginia Tech recruiting fans probably cringe at right now because K.J. Henry chose Clemson over Virginia Tech. Um, But he's very close with K.J. Henry. He has been to Clemson uh, before. He's been to Clemson recently, but it wasn't on a football trip. It was a trip to go up and hang out with K.J. for his birthday and just you know hang out with some of the guys. Um, I think that Clemson is in it. You'd be naive to think they're not with the way that they're recruiting and the way that their football program has been over the past couple of years and couple of recruiting recruitment cycles. Um, but, you know, everything always seems to trend back to Virginia Tech and North Carolina. Uh, back in 2016, I made the prediction that Fax was going to go to Virginia Tech, and I have not changed that since. I don't see a reason to change it right now. I think Virginia Tech fans should be um, optimistic that he ends up in Blacksburg. I think that there is a major draw to keeping him in North Carolina. I do think he's feeling that pressure. I wouldn't say I'd be shocked if he went to North Carolina, uh, but right now I think that he has a good shot at going to Virginia Tech. I'd say the Hokies have as much of a chance as anyone else. His recruitment is fascinating, especially uh, you know looking at the the broader picture of Virginia Tech. You lose Matua Pawaka, you lose Tremaine Edmonds to the draft, and not only that, you lose Sean Hulescamp, Anthony Chigag, the top backups last year. I mean, if there's an instant playing time situation, or at least a situation where you could jump in and compete right away, uh, I feel like the Hokies would be it. I mean, you know, you're talking about Rayshard Ashby and, and Dylan Rivers possibly being the most experienced guys in that linebacking crew who are uh, scholarship guys. Uh, is this are, – are people going to look at whether they get Dax Hollyfield as a make-or-break situation for this class? I mean, whether that's fair or not. I mean, there's obviously tons of guys in this class, mm-hmm. but is this going to kind of color the perception of how Virginia Tech closed this class? I don't think it would really change the perception – Per se, I think that fans followed Virginia Tech recruiting for a couple of years probably expect Dax to go elsewhere because if we're really being honest and really being realistic, going back, looking at some of the guys, the top guys that have been the top of the board for Virginia Tech, guys like, you know, Josh Sweat, Cleveland Farrell, um, you know, uh, uh, Dax would be one if he decided to go elsewhere, KJ Henry. There's a lot of guys that have come down to the wire, and Virginia Tech's had a hat on the table, but they always are left at the altar. They've been a bridesmaid more times than they've been a bride. So, you know, I think some Virginia Tech fans that have followed this might be expecting this to happen. They might be expecting Dax to go elsewhere. You know, I, I think that this one, I've said for a long time, this recruitment had a similar feel to me as Devin Hunter did. You know, Devin Hunter was, was very much a Virginia Tech guy. He did flirt with some other schools. He was entertaining some other schools, but ended up, I'm going to be a Hokie. And I, I still have that feeling for Dax. I, I don't think, you know, there is a lot of pressure there for him to stay home. But, you know, I think that Virginia Tech has, a, has as good of a shot as anybody else. Um, looking at the class overall, you know, he, he's a heck of a player. Dax is a heck of a player. And like you said, the, the depth chart, is probably the best in the country for him to look at. Um, you know, Virginia Tech lost five linebackers, I believe, you know, with, with Tavante Beckett thrown in there as well. Um, you know, they, they are wide open at the linebacker position. 
I know Virginia Tech doesn't promise playing time. I know Bud Foster doesn't do that at all. But also realistically looking at Dax, he could probably walk in and have a great shot at starting day one. You know, I think Keyshawn Artis is also in that same boat. I think that he's a guy that some people maybe look down a little bit on because Dax is still on the board. But if Keyshawn Artis is your inside linebacker for this class, I don't think that's anything to snub a nose at. I think he's a darn good football player. You know, Dax is a darn good football player. Um, you know, I think one thing that people maybe don't know about Dax is his high school runs the same defense that Virginia Tech runs. Um, they have built their scheme off of Bud Foster. So if, if he goes to Virginia Tech, he, he already knows the terminology. He already knows the scheme, which, which is half the problem, you know, half the battle. Would Bud Foster trust him to play middle linebacker day one against Florida State? I don't know. But I do think that he probably would come in and create instant competition the minute he got on campus. Well, I personally would like to thank Dax Hollyfield for stringing this out all the way until the February signing day, because it really gives a headliner to this whole thing. It'll be really interesting this next week to see what direction he goes. Uh, Some other targets here. uh, Anthony Grant, uh, running back, is a Tennessee commit right now. Uh, I think a lot of people expected a Virginia Tech flip. It looks like he visited Florida State recently. Uh, How do you like the Hokies' chances there? Yeah, you know, when he visited Virginia Tech before the early signing period, and, uh, you know, everything everything lined up. It looked like he was going to flip. You know, Tennessee had gone through a coaching change. He was really, really high on the Hokies. Um, he said he wanted to visit a couple more schools, which he has. You know, the Florida State offer, he actually has not visited yet. He visits this upcoming weekend, oh. Florida State. Um, I think I think that's one to possibly look at. Um, honestly, I, I think Virginia Tech, maybe North Carolina uh, and Tennessee, you know, I think He's committed to Tennessee. He didn't back away during the coaching change. He still hasn't backed away. Part of me thinks he's going to, and he's just going to stick this thing out and ride with Tennessee. I don't think I'd be shocked, nor would I blame him. That's you know that's obviously where he wanted to go. That's where he wanted to play when he committed. So you know if things haven't changed at the school and he's happy with the new coaching staff and they're happy with him, I could see him sticking there. Um, you know Virginia Tech has probably recruited him. Uh, as hard as anybody or harder than anybody, he's at a pipeline school. So if Virginia Tech were to get him, they could create a pipeline into a very talented, talented high school. Um, they're already, I think they've offered maybe four underclassmen from that high school in the next few cycles already, and they'll probably offer a few more. Um, so he's a guy that is going to come down to signing day. Nobody's going to know what he's going to do until he signs, I don't think. Um I think Virginia Tech has a shot. Tennessee obviously has a shot. It's hard to ever count out Florida State in recruiting. You know, they they are very good at what they do. They're very good at signing talented players. Um, you know, I'm not sure how that'll be with their new staff, but I haven't seen anything to tell me they can't close on some big time. Um, and I still think North Carolina is in there. People don't talk about them as much, but I do think North Carolina is in there for him as well. Um, you know, if I had to if I had to put a number on it right now. I think Tennessee and Virginia Tech might be the two that are that are trending right now, um, but everything's going to be interesting to see what happens after this uh, this Florida State visit and the last you know sprint for the last like couple of days of, uh, of the open period. Has the ship sailed on Javante Jean Baptiste, defensive end in, in New Jersey? It seems like uh, that's really sort of trended towards Nebraska with him lately. And uh, you know Javon Becton commits earlier this week, another defensive end. Is that sort of 
uh, a sign maybe that the Hokies are not going to land him? You know, if you had asked me that two weeks ago, I would have said he's going to Nebraska. Now, I say Virginia Tech has a good of a shot as Nebraska does. Really? Um, you know, one recent development, he's going to visit Texas A&M this week. Virginia Tech went in yesterday, so did Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher did convince him to take a, a, a official visit down to uh, Texas A&M uh, this upcoming weekend. Um, but Virginia Tech did as good of a job as they could have done during their in-home. Um, he's very high on Virginia Tech. You know, if if he were to have signed in December, he would have signed with Virginia Tech, in my opinion. They were the, they were the leaders at the time. They had made him a very big priority. Um, and he was very, very high on the Hokies, took that uh, official visit right before the early signing period. But he decided to wait it out. Um, you know, Scott Frost has recruited him for longer than probably anyone down at UC, when he was down at UCF. Went over to Nebraska. He was one of the first offers that Scott Frost let out of Nebraska. So I think that there's obviously a connection there with Scott Frost. The, the big thing is the distance. That's a far way away. And once you start getting down to, you know, when, when you're a year out of your recruitment, distance doesn't matter. When you start getting a week out of your, your decision, uh, distance can start to play a fact. You know, do, does he want to move that far away from his family? Does he want the possibility of his family not seeing him in person more than a few times a year? Or would he want to play somewhere in the, in the family's footprint where they can get to m- the majority of his games? And that's the angle that Virginia Tech has played. Is you go to Nebraska, you're you're going a far way away from home, and you're you're a lot of your games, your parents, parents, family members, friends may not be able to get to see you in person. But if you play at Virginia Tech, a lot of people will be able to come to see you. You'll have a huge support system at home and away games, um, and that seemed to resonate with him. I, you know, he's a he's a guy that we might start getting a better feel for here in the next few days. But I would not count out Virginia Tech in that recruitment at all. And, um, you know, Javon Beckton committing, it didn't really change the numbers for Virginia Tech or uh, or change their want for Baptiste. I still think he's a top priority for the Hokies. They would obviously like to take both of them. They're still really, really high on, on getting him. And he's a guy that they're going to fight for until signing day. Jamarcus Chapman is a defensive tackle. Uh, I think Virginia Tech is in his top four with Miami, Florida State, UNC. Uh, any shot there with the Hogies, you think? Now, uh, I think that Miami visit. That's the last visit for him. And he's been very outspoken about wanting to go to Miami. Um, that's been, you know, one of the schools that has always stuck out. He's a guy that, you know, if you go back and read through his recruitment, it's all over the place as well. He's committed to a few schools uh, down in the SEC, decommitted, committed to another, decommitted. You know, he's a guy that Miami has always been up there, but maybe weren't looking at taking as many defensive tackles until, you know, similar situation like Virginia Tech had where, you know, uh, Tim Settle goes pro early, kind of surprises some people, and now all of a sudden you need to sign another D-tack. And that's kind of the same boat that Miami is in. So he's a guy that they kind of got on a little late, even though he was high on them for a long time. I think they are the major player in his recruitment. You know, I've talked to a couple sources here in the last 24 hours. Miami or Virginia Tech are the two right now uh, for him. And I'm not sold. This one has. This one goes on signing day. 
I think that he's the type of guy that he might even drag it out a little past signing day just to make sure, because he's a guy that seems to change his mind fairly often. Um, right now, I would have to say Miami has the upper hand, especially going into the visit, the way he is, he's talked about Miami. And I think if the Hurricanes want him, if the Hurricanes are, are willing to take him and have room, it's hard to see him not going to Miami right now. Is there anybody else? Anybody? I mean, that's we listed, uh, you know, five guys, four or five guys there uh, that they're kind of approaching here uh, at the end of the signing period. Uh, anybody else that could sneak into this class that maybe hasn't been talked about that much? You know, there's two more guys. One guy a lot of people know about. One guy a lot of people probably don't. Um, but uh, four star, you know, offensive tackle Rasheed Walker has been on. Uh, he's been kind of hot and cold with the Hokies. Uh, Big time offensive lineman out of Maryland. Hokies went in and saw him a few days ago uh, during an, for an in-home visit. You know, things things seem to be trending well for the Hokies. I do still think Penn State and Ohio State are definitely contenders. Um, he's fairly well offensive lineman. Uh, and, and if I was a betting man, that's probably where I would put my money right now is on Penn State. I do think Virginia Tech will have a hat on the table. That's going to be one that we just see how it shakes out. With, with Penn State and Ohio State, they're schools that could fill up early or could fill up you know, right before signing day. And, you know, they might be schools that would say, you know, thanks but no thanks to some guys, especially guys of this caliber. So Rasheed Walker is one I would keep an eye on if other schools start to fill up that could maybe land at Virginia Tech. Uh, um, he's not a guy right now I think is, is a guy that I would say could commit to Virginia Tech uh, in the next few days. But we'll see how all that plays out. And then local, you know, local to Blacksburg, Lynchburg running back Elijah Davis. He's a guy that Virginia Tech has been very high on, and not many people know about it. Uh, he's a record-breaking running back from Heritage High School over there. Uh, uh, ran for, three, I think, believe over 3,000 yards as a senior. Has put up some really, really big numbers. Um, and he's a guy that has been very recruited, had an injury earlier in, early in his high school career, didn't do any camps, didn't do any combines, and then, you know, breaks out as a senior. Everybody knows about him uh, in the local area, and he caught Virginia Tech's eye. He's the type of guy that, you know, right now he has Old Dominion, James Madison, Liberty. People will look at that offer list and say, he can't play at Virginia Tech. Um, you know, I've watched his film, seen him in person. I've seen his size. I think he can be a power five back. I think he can be a player kind of in the mold of uh, Stephen Peoples. You know, a lot of people wondered about him coming out of Galax. Could he actually play at Virginia Tech? And he's shown that he can. I think uh, Elijah Davis is is a guy that could possibly get one of those 11th hour, we have room, we think you can help this program offer. Uh, and if that offer comes, I think Virginia Tech would have a good shot to get him. You know, some schools like Liberty, Old Dominion, James Madison. Um, he's a guy that I wouldn't count out if, if you know if recruiting guys are watching or listening to this right now. Check out his film from Heritage High School, and uh, and you'll probably be pretty impressed. He's a guy that can he can really play, he can really move. He's a football player, and I think that uh, I think that schools left on him. I think that people you know he fell through the cracks, and he could be a guy if he doesn't go to Virginia Tech and goes to Old Dominion, JMU, or Liberty. He'll have a very good college career, and he'll be a guy that we'll hear about in a few years. Now, Virginia Tech has 25 commitments right now. Uh, how big of a class could they conceivably go? I mean, I know there are limits to how much you can sign 
uh, players you can bring in every August, uh, 25 new scholarship players. But there are all sorts of back counting and you know fancy math that you can do to make guys fit. How big of a class do you think they could take right now? You know, I I I, I um, am thankful every day that I don't have to do those numbers for a college college program because it can get very confusing. I think Virginia Tech they have four or five more guys on their on their board. If those guys wanted in, if Baptiste wants in and Hollyfield wants in and Walker walks in and Chapman wants in and Grant walks in, you, you can't say no. You have to figure out a way to take them. And I think Virginia Tech could do that. I don't think they're going to sign that that many. I don't think they're going to land in that utopian situation. Um, realistically, I see two to three more guys signing with Virginia Tech. Um, so pushing the class 27, 28. Utopian world, they could get up there, uh, but realistically, yeah, I think it'll be less than twenty-eight. Yeah, it's always funny. The numbers always seem to work in the end, and you know they wouldn't offer all these guys scholarships if they didn't have a plan uh, somehow to make it all work. And you know everybody still has to qualify. That could be a way uh, things work with like that. There's gray shirt possibilities. Everything factors in. They always make it work. Uh, in the end you're right the guys that have to make those numbers work i think the head coach just sort of says make this number work and then it's on other guys to figure out how to make those numbers work uh it's sort of a thankless job uh you really covered the the, the guys coming up here in february pretty well but i mean there were 23 guys that signed uh in december uh when you look at that group who do you think are the headliners who are the, just the best of the bunch uh, far and away of that early group so, you know i think everybody that's a virginia tech fan knows about Quincy Patterson by now, a quarterback out of Chicago. He's going to win two Heismans, right? That's what I've read. He's going to win two Heismans? <laughs> yeah, he'll be a you know, first-round uh, NFL draft pick, I guess, as well, right? Yeah, nothing um, like setting the expectation, no, he, expectations unreasonably before he even gets here. Exactly. No, he's a guy that he has an extremely, extremely high ceiling. If he reaches that ceiling, we don't know. That's all unknown right now. But he... He's a guy that's cut in the same mold as as a Gerard Evans. Um, you know, maybe soft comparisons to a guy like Logan Thomas, but I think he has much better quarterback mechanics out of high school than than Logan had. He's got absolutely great size for the position and for what Virginia Tech asks for him to do. You know, I think it is unrealistic. Virginia Tech fans think, oh, Quincy Patterson's coming in and he's going to play a quarterback, and he's going to take over for Josh Jackson against Florida State. I think that's unrealistic. Yeah, He's I, a I guy no that has shot. a great ceiling. He's, a, he's got a great ceiling, but coming in in August, doing some of the, you know, learning some of the nuances, not only of the system, but also how to be a college quarterback. He does have some mechanical things he needs to walk through. You know, I think, I, I think that he has, you know, he's, he's one of the recruits that probably is the most exciting, but he is going to take some time. And I think Virginia Tech fans probably need to uh, to recognize that a little bit, but he, um, you know, he's got a bright bright future. Uh, one thing people don't really talk about too too much with him, he is absolutely brilliant. The kid has a great grade point average. He's in AP classes. That's why he couldn't enroll early is because of AP classes. He wants to get an engineering degree from Virginia Tech, and I actually believe he can do it. I mean, how very, perfect is very, that for Virginia Tech? If you're going to like mold a, a recruit specifically to Virginia Tech, like having an engineering background like that seems to fit absolutely perfectly. It's like, it's like these two entities just found each other and it was perfect for each other. Absolutely. The, the day one player that I have penciled in is obviously uh, Juco corner, Jeremy Webb. He's a guy Virginia Tech lost, you know, Greg Stroman. They lose Brandon Faison. 
they still do have Adonis Alexander, but behind him you have some unproven guys. You know, you got uh, Jovan Quillen over there, and you have uh, Bryce Watts, Ty, uh, Roger. You got Rogers over there, and you know some guys that maybe haven't gotten as many reps as you you would kind of imagine because you had you know the perfect rotation of Faison, Stroman, and Alexander. So you bring in a JUCO corner, Jeremy Webb. He's a day one guy. He's got great size, six three, one ninety five. He's a guy that Virginia Tech had to battle some big schools for to get him. Um, you know, he'll be there for summer session one. He couldn't get it done to to get out in uh in January due the the way his his junior college does a tri semester schedule, which is a little bit uh different. So he couldn't get into Virginia Tech in, in January because he hadn't graduated yet. So he's on track to get there for summer session one and get on the field this summer and, and really get to work. I, I think that he has a very bright future and, and can be a very good, uh, you know, plug and play player for, for Bud Foster and, and for Hokie defense. He seems um, like you know, there's some other guys I really, he, you know, that's a good, that's a good comparison. I think he's probably a little more refined than Adonis was coming out of high school. They're both tall, long, um, you know, we have good size. Uh, they're both very athletic. I do think, especially, you know, it's kind of kind of unfair to compare a high school, you know, early enrollee that Adonis was to a junior college player who's, you know, a couple years older and, and, and a little more seasoned. But it is a good comparison. I think that you throw both of those guys out there and you get very good length and very good size. They both obviously have good hips. Uh, can move and run well. You know, I think I think that Webb is a very good addition for the Hokies. I think that that was, you know, uh, when you look at, you know, Faison and and Stroman leaving, and you had the possibility that Donis would try to declare for the NFL early on in the season. A lot of people thought that might happen. You had to get a junior junior college corner or a transfer to really come in and, and bring some uh, bring some veteran you know, mojo to the to the position and, and bring some size, some length, and some hitting ability. And, and he checks all the boxes. He's a guy that I'm really high on for the Hokies. Um, you know, another guy that I think I think some people might sleep on a little bit, uh, you know, two are the offensive line commits, Walker Culver, you know, out of uh, Tennessee, John Harris out of Georgia. Um, you know, I think both of those guys, obviously true freshmen very rarely play on the offensive line. So I wouldn't expect that, but I do think both have very bright futures. Culver's about as technical as it comes when you look at an offensive lineman. Um, you know, Virginia Tech did a, a very good job there fighting off Auburn, which is where his father went to school, and I believe his brother went to school as well. Um, and Ohio State, you know, they wanted him. They wanted him pretty bad, and you know, they ended up getting uh, getting left at the altar by a few guys after he signed with Virginia Tech. So. It was, um, you know, it was it was a very big victory for the Hokies to get Walker Culver, John Harris, Georgia linemen usually work out. He's a he's a good lineman. He's very technical. He's got good size. He'd be a very good interior player for the Hokies. I think you know a lot of offensive linemen don't get the notoriety they probably deserve, um, not only when they're playing but when they're in the recruiting world as well. Uh, and I think that he's a guy that that can really turn a lot of heads. Yeah, I, th- I think the Culver 
commitment was a big one. That came on the heels of Jordan McFadden officially decommitting. I think people saw that coming for a while, but uh, I'm pretty sure that came within the same week uh, after that happened. Uh, to replace one commitment with another like that, even though it, it probably wasn't connected necessarily, uh, that's a pretty big deal uh, for the Hokies. Uh, big DB class. Uh, they took a lot of guys in that DB class. Uh, which are the top guys out of that group? I mean, it, it's tough to kind of sort them out. Uh, who, who do you think has the best chance to maybe make an impact early out of that group? I mean, Webb, like I already talked about, does. Um, Shamari Connor is very interesting to me. The only reason I would say he maybe won't make an immediate impact is just because Virginia Tech has Reggie Floyd and Devin Hunter already at the rover position. But I think he's a very good rover. He possibly has the range to play free safety. You know, I want to, I would want to see how he runs. Um, you know, I think that that's something Virginia Tech might play with, maybe putting him at free and seeing how he does. But he's a guy that, you know, comes from Trinity, uh, Trinity Christian down there. And, in Jacksonville, and he's a guy that plays a high, high, high level. I think that he's very underrated. And it's interesting, he's a guy that I think he was the first commit or the second uh, behind Dewan Ellis. I think uh, he committed to Virginia Tech, like, I don't know, a year before he signed, maybe even further. And he had, I mean, if people look at his offer list, he had a lot of opportunities. A lot of people tried to poach him from Virginia Tech, and he wouldn't flip. So, you know, he's a guy that I that I like. I really like that Jermaine Waller kid from from Maryland. Enrolled early, um, very athletic. He can move really well. I know a lot of Virginia Tech recruiting uh, fans really liked Kalen Gervin that they were in on early. Uh, Waller is the same type of player, in my opinion. He's a little bit longer, a little bit taller, um, but I think that he's a very versatile corner and I wouldn't be surprised especially because he enrolled early I wouldn't be surprised to see him get a jump start on his on his career at corner um highest possible ceiling out of the guys that aren't Jeremy Webb I love Nadir Thompson I think that he has a bright future uh, he got great speed great footwork um you know he did get injured his senior year I do want to see how that um how that heals but it, it must be healing well because he's doing some track stuff now at his high school. He had a leg injury. Um, but I think he's massively underrated. He spent the majority of his recruitment committed to NC State. Virginia Tech was able to flip him, um, and he's just a guy that is is lightning in a bottle, kind of cutting the same mold as Greg Stroman. I think he'll he'll take a few, and he could take a few lumps early in his career, but I think down the road, he could be the same type of player that Virginia Tech had with, with Stroman in the uh, corner as a kick returner, as a punt returner. He's the type of kid that could even moonlight on offense if they wanted him to be a little scat back or a slot receiver. I think he's just very versatile and about as as athletic as they come. Going simply by the rankings, I think Trey Turner was probably the highest-ranked guy wide receiver uh, how do you like his outlook uh, and Daryl Simmons? I mean, they took two true receivers in this class. They're guys that played there in high school. Now Simmons had the injury uh, that sort of prevented him from his senior season. These seem like bigger receivers than Virginia Tech has had in the past. How, how do you like those guys? You know, I really like Trey Turner. I think that he's kind of cut in the same mold as an Isaiah Ford. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that wants to be dual sport, wants to play basketball at Virginia Tech as well. <laughs> um, he is not as refined as 
Ford was coming out of high school. And that's not really unexpected. Ford played at one of the powerhouse high schools and one of the best in the country. Um, and he was a top notch route runner. Um, Trey is, is more athletic. I would say, um, he's a little bit, he, he's overlisted. I think on his height, I would say Trey Turner's probably six, two, six, two and a half. Aren't they all over? They're all overlisted on their height. They all, it's amazing how a many lot guys of shrink. Are, yeah. And they shrink uh, two or three yep. inches on signing day. It's the magical shrinking recruiting class. I'm sorry. Continue. Absolutely. Uh, but Trey, you know, Trey Turner did have an injury his senior year, just like um, a couple of the other Virginia Tech commits did. Uh, he, he, he hurt his shoulder, had to have season-ending surgery. Um, but he's a guy that I think if he recovers well, which I have not heard anything to lead me to, he won't recover well. I think he has a bright future. I do think he has to adjust to the wide receiver full-time position. He was maybe asked to do a little bit too much in high school, played some quarterback, played a couple other positions. So settling in on one position will help him, uh, he, but he does need to work on his route running a little bit. He does need to, uh, to clean up some of the aspects of the game when his, the ball is not in his hands. But when the ball is, is in his hands, he can make some plays I think that he has a, a home run ability. I wouldn't say he's as fast as a guy like Caleb Farley or, or you know, Cole, obviously Cole Beck is one of the fastest in the country. But Trey Turner's got some deceptive speed. He can get separation. He can catch the ball well. You know, there are some, some refinement points that I think he needs to make. But every high school player transitioning to the college game has to make them as well. So, you know, I think he has a bright future. Um, Simmons, you know, he was his was his recruitment was interesting because of the injury. Um, you know, he had a lot of schools interested. One of the top wide receivers in the country uh, has an injury, and you know, some schools started to back off. Other schools still would have taken him. You know, some of the schools like Penn State and guys like that, um, they they still would have you know taken a commitment from him. But Virginia Tech actually sold him on their, their rehabilitation program and how they can get him right and. And if he comes there, how they can make sure his, his he stays healthy. And, you know, he probably looks the part better than any wide receiver commits I remember in, in recent history. You know, he's cut up really well, um, especially for a guy who didn't do much cardio because he's been injured. He, he's, you know, he, he has to stay out of certain aspects of the weight room, but it doesn't look like he's missed any, any weights. It doesn't look like he's missed any cardio. He, he looks the part for sure. Um, you know, he, he, I want to see how he moves after the injury, uh, before I say how early I think he will play, but I do think that Virginia Tech saw they needed size on the outside, uh, and they went and got it and they got two, in my opinion, they got two of the better receivers on the East coast. Um, Turner, I might say one of the better athletes in the country. You know, I think we have him ranked in the top two, uh, 247 players right now. Um, but he, he's a guy that I think when, both of them are when, when fully healthy, give them a redshirt year, and I think they're guys that could make some plays for the Hokies. You mentioned Cole Beck earlier. I, I covered a Blacksburg, uh, I think it was the state or state quarterfinal, some 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 round of the the playoffs. There, I was uh, called up into high school duty for the first time. I think in six years, seven years, something like that, covering a high school game. Uh, Cole Beck looked pretty impressive in that. He, he is fast. Uh, there was a play uh, an EC Glass. Uh, Guy caught a pass across the middle, running straight towards the end zone, probably had a 15-yard head start, and Colbeck ran him down from behind, stripped the ball, uh, game-saving play, kind of turned things around there. I do wonder about his running back instincts and his running back chops. 
I want to ask you a position for him where you think he ends up in college. And, and another guy that's sort of in the same vein, Dewan Ellis, I know they recruited him. He, they listed him as a quarterback when he signed. I, I don't think there's any chance he stays a quarterback. I think a slot receiver or something like that comes along. They seem like very talented, fast guys, and, and really bring a lot of speed to this team. I'm curious where you think they sort of end up position-wise or how Virginia Tech might use them. Um, you know, with Cole Beck, um, he's a guy, I've said this a couple times in, in some of our VIP uh, talks on the on the BT Scoop website, he's a guy that um, I would teach him about five to six routes, and I would put him in the slot, I'd put him in the backfield, I'd put him in motion, and I would make other teams have to figure out how to defend him. You know, he might be a guy, I line out, uh, I line out uh, wide and just run go routes just to tire out the other team from trying to keep up with him. Um, you know, you may, he, he's the type of guy that I'm not sure you can overthrow him. Um, you know, I, I have the same concerns, uh, that you mentioned about his natural being a natural running back. Um, you know, I think that he, I think he can run the ball. I just not sure that he has the natural ability to play running back the way that Virginia tech uses their backs. Um, I think that he would be better suited in the, uh, you know, get him some screens, get him the ball in space teach him, uh, you know, a couple a couple routes from the slot position, get him lined up on a linebacker, and, and just kind of go to town with your speed. Um, you know, he, he's, he's an interesting prospect to me. You know, on, on, on one side, you know, it's, he, he obviously has elite speed, and you wonder what he can do on the football field. But the other part of me says, you know, if I'm him and I have that speed, I'm not sure I play football. You know, he, he's going to run track, too, at Virginia Tech, and he could be a guy, like a few years ago, there was Grant Holloway, one of the top players in the state of Virginia, went down to Florida, gave up football offers, went down to Florida to run track, and that that guy might be in the Olympics one day. Um, you know, and Colbeck has elite speed. I, I would be interested to see, you know, if, if he, how long he, he stays with football, because if it becomes a thing where he has a shot at the Olympics, Football may not be the answer for him. He uh, and I wouldn't doubt him. You know, uh, good on him for having the opportunity to to do that and be a an elite track star. So, you know, I would I would always look at that possibility down the road. Um, on the football field, I see him more as a receiver and I see him more as a return man than a running back. I think kick returner, uh, he could make a, a huge impact. Just sheer speed. Um, you know, when you talk about Dewan Ellis. He's very, very interesting. Pound for pound, he might be the most athletic player I've ever seen. Um, he he can do a number of things, and yes, he's small. Um, you know, he's he's not only short, he's thin. Um, but I could I would say he that guy can spin the ball. He can throw. He can move. I would love to see him be a quarterback, um, but I'm, I'm with you. I don't think that that's his long-term position. I do think he'll get a shot there. I do think they'll give him some, some opportunities. And I wouldn't be surprised if he played a little wildcat throughout his career because he's a legit quarterback. He can, he can throw the ball really well. He's just small. Um, I like him as a slot receiver. I really am intrigued by him as a corner, um, but I think slot receiver, he's just too dynamic and, you know, under under uh, Frank Beamer, I'd say he'll probably be a corner because that's what tends to happen with guys like that under Frank Beamer. But under Justin Fuente, a guy like that can be lethal in his offense. 
um, getting him the ball in, in space or getting him, uh, you know, doing different things. Imagine guys like him and Colbeck on the, on the field together with all that speed. It's, it's very tough to defend, um, you know, situations like that. So I think that they find a way to make sure he has the ball in space. He's a guy I may not even classify with a position. I know they probably have to, but he, he's a guy could be a wide receiver. You could motion him into the backfield. You could play him at corner. You could let him return punts. He, he could be Mr. Everything. You know, if he really buys in, really, really learns all the aspects, the ins, the outs, and is willing to move on from the quarterback position, I think he has a, a, a very bright future. I think he's lightning in a bottle. And I think the Hokies did a great job, not only to get him committed, but remember he decommitted for like three days and they got yeah. him back on uh, on the commitment list. So, you know, they did a really good job there just keeping him. Um, I know a lot of schools wanted him. A lot of schools saw that speed. You know, he, he's a guy that he's a, a hand-timed Virginia Tech 4-3 guy, probably a, probably a laser 4-4 guy, high 4-4s. Four but, you know, he, he can play. That kid that kid's good. Um yeah, I think that he can be a, a lethal aspect to that offense. Well, what was it? Jacksonville went ahead. Denard Robinson, the former Michigan quarterback, I think they listed him as an offensive weapon. Uh, they, they just weren't going to put yeah, him in the box. That they were going to kind of trot him out there. Colbeck's Colback to me, has jet sweep written all over him. I just feel like that is a something to stretch the defense horizontally like that. You know, this will take. This is way back uh, when I was in college at Wisconsin. Uh, they had Michael Bennett, who was a guy that you know every now and then they would talk about his speed in the Olympics, and it was kind of a question of whether he could be a running back. Uh, as it turns out, he could, and he followed up Ron Dane uh, at Wisconsin, and he was incredible in the the one year that he was the starting running back at Wisconsin. Broke off, I think, I want to say like 10 to 11 50-yard runs. Like just once he was in the open field, he was gone, and it was just such a different offense. Uh, the one sort of the plotting Ron Dane offense that Wisconsin had at that point. He went to the NFL, uh, drafted by the Vikings. I think he played with the Raiders later on, maybe some other teams. But he turned out to be a pretty good running back, and I think people had questions about whether he could have those kind of skills. So, I mean, you know, I wonder if, you know, maybe Colbeck could be something like that down the line. I don't know. But there was just a, an example that came up from my past in that, you know, we, we've covered a lot of this. Uh, any sleepers in this group and people you don't think are maybe getting their due uh, from this class? You know, I think one guy, and it's ironic that he's kind of overlooked a little bit, is Armani Chapman out of Virginia Beach. I mean, he's from a hotbed. He's one of the top ten players in the state. Uh, but for some reason, people just kind of sleep on him a little bit. Um, you know, I think he's a guy who played at Bishop Sullivan, plays, you know, some top-level competition, um, plays both ways. I still don't know what he's going to play at Virginia Tech. I don't think he knows what he's going to play. Could be a wide receiver. Could be a corner. You know, either way, I think that he's a player that can make an impact. Um, and James Mitchell, that's another guy nobody, you know, really talks about. Him. Who comes out of, you know, Big Stone Gap, Virginia? There's only a handful of guys that have come out of there and gone to the college ranks. Um, and, and he's got big play potential as well. You know, I think that that was a big, big pull for Virginia Tech. And I wouldn't be super surprised to see him play a little early in a little, in a Bucky Hodges type of role. I know. Some people list him as a tight end. Some people list him as a wide receiver. I think he'll be more of a Bucky Hodges replacement in Blacksburg, so more of a more of a wide receiver. Maybe come in line. Maybe could be a little H back, but I don't I don't see him taking that from a guy like Dalton Keene. So, you know, I think that he'll be a, a wide receiver outside possession receiver and, and could maybe stretch it out a little bit. Uh, you know, for some deep balls like Bucky did, but. 
you know, he's a guy that can probably move the chains for the Hokies. And, and I think that he's a very kind of un, not really underrated, but underappreciated a little bit just because people don't really think about him, I think, in the recruiting class. I want to ask you this. You've been extremely generous with your time today. I just had one more question, sort of big picture with Virginia Tech. I mean, they're ranked, I think the class is ranked 22nd right now nationally. Uh, it was 26th last year. Uh, you know, obviously started a little bit higher and has just faded uh, as this uh, February signing day approaches and some of these teams fill out their classes. What is a reasonable ceiling uh, for this new staff at Virginia Tech? I, I sort of have the feeling that, uh, you know, schools sort of have built-in ceilings to how well they can recruit. I don't think Virginia Tech is ever going to get a top-five recruiting class. I think that's just sort of unreasonable given the geography, the history, the tradition, the resources, everything that goes into that. What's a reasonable ceiling for Virginia Tech recruiting-wise that they can get to? You know, I think that uh, I think that their ceiling is probably that 12 to 15 range. I think that they can get there, but a lot of that will depend on the state of Virginia and talent in the state of Virginia. You know, right now that 2020 class in the state of Virginia looks really, really loaded. 2021 has early promises as well, but those kids, you know, half of them might decide they don't want to play football anymore, you know, for the next three years of high school or two years of high school. Um, you know, 2019 is getting a little bit better. One way that I like to look at the classes is not necessarily the class rank overall, but the average recruit ranking. I think that that tells a, a little bit better. Um, you know, and we, we had this discussion the other day about, um, about Beckton when he committed. In 2016, Virginia Tech's probably worst class in, in a couple of years uh, during the transition from Frank Beamer to Justin Fuente. He would have been the sixth highest rated commit in the class. Last year, he would have been ninth, and this year, he's 16th. So that shows the trajectory of the program. It shows that the recruiting is on an, up, on an uptick. Even if, you know, Virginia Tech finished, you know, uh, I don't remember what they were last year, 25th, I believe. This year, if it's 22nd, you say that's only a, a three-position jump. But if you look at the average recruit ranking and you kind of look at who across the board, you know, who was the lowest-rated recruit in this class, where would they rank in – in past classes, and I think that gives you a better, true look at, at how things are trending. And I think Virginia Tech is trending up. I do think there are some built-in limitations for the Hokies. Um, you know, I think one thing that's definitely changing and helping them is the, the uh, perception of playing in the ACC. I think that has changed a lot over the last few years. Clemson, Florida State, Miami have really all helped that as well. Um, and Virginia Tech, it, it's you have a lot of guys that still remember the days of Michael Vick. You know, you have fans that remember it. But if you're thinking about these, a lot of these recruits, they weren't old enough to see Michael Vick at Virginia Tech. Uh, they don't remember it. So there ha- there hasn't been those type of players, you know, those big-time type of players that have come through that a lot of recruits kind of see and resonate and think, you know, as a eight-year-old kid, that's who I want to be. I want to be, you know, Michael Vick. Um, uh, and, you know, so I think Virginia Tech has some limitations kind of like that. They need some big-time playmakers to step up to help entice the youth. Um, you know, there are some, some geographical, maybe some holdups there um, or some drawbacks there. You know, there's no major airport. There's no real major cities around it. Um, but I think that 12 to 15 is probably accurate if the state of Virginia has a big year. Uh, with their their high school recruits, I do think Justin Fuente has done a very good job um, keeping talent in state so far. 
you know, I do think there are some guys that go out of state that's that's always going to happen. Um, but there are some guys that they've convinced to keep in state recently, you know, starting with Devin Hunter last year. They can continue to get guys like that and convince people to stay home and stay in the state of Virginia. I think you'll see them break that 20th ranking uh, barrier and start moving up higher. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think Virginia Tech's always going to have to succeed by hitting on the few star players that does recruit. You know, for a while, all the four star, five star guys that they got uh, seemed like they just didn't work out. Like you know, people like Zach uh, McRae back in the day. You know, sort of the highlight guys in the classes didn't seem to work out. But then they also have to have that success on the margins and, and find. You know, there's a ton of three star guys. It's probably four fifths of their class. Uh, they got to hit on those guys. I mean, they can't have. Uh, you know, only you know, 20% of the class pan out or something like that. Then you start hitting these depth problems uh, further down the line. So it is pretty interesting. I, I I think, I mean, you're around it all the time. I think Fuente has it on the right track at this point. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I definitely think it's on the right track. I think the trajectory is definitely moving in the right direction for Virginia Tech. All right, well, we went longer than I thought. You've been extremely generous uh, helping us out here. VT Scoop, you, you plug it. Give, give some stuff that people can look for on VT Scoop, a reason to go subscribe there. Oh, yeah, VT Scoop is, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, if not the biggest, we're one of the biggest Virginia Tech recruiting websites out there. Um, we got the inside scoop on everything. You know, we'll have updates on Dax Hollyfield's in-home, in-home visits with Virginia Tech, who's mm-hmm. visiting this weekend. Um, you know, we got uh, some some big news that might be coming out. You know, here in the next couple of days for the 2019 class. You know, you, you want to get a get a subscription to VT Scoop. We'll give you a free week. Come in, sign up, try it for a few days. If you don't like it, cancel. No sweat. Um, but you know, we're 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 always uh, we're always looking for more people to join the community. It's a, it's a great community. It's a great message board. Um, you know, I think that we have not only the VT Scoop. Uh, guys, but we also have a group of national analysts that have been, you know, in the business 20 to 30 years and putting out great, great information, great scoops on some some players, great visit reactions, great, uh, you know, reactions from from recruits and, and stories from recruits year round. So the the signing day signing day comes in a few days, and after that, we'll be right back on the grind with 2019. Um, and I think Virginia Tech has something special that they can do in that class. So. If you don't have a subscription, come check us out, try it out, give it a give it a free trial, and let's see what happens. Well, we newspaper beat writers at Virginia Tech dip our toe in the recruiting waters every now and then, certainly around this time of year. You guys live in it year-round, so I'm just going to compliment uh, the way that you guys are on this all the time. I think people are going to enjoy this podcast. Uh, it was a popular one last year. It will certainly be popular again with all the insight you give in on this one. Thank you very much, Evan, for joining us. No problem. It was a blast. All right, well, that'll do it. This is a a fun thing. I'm going to try to expand this podcast in the future, hopefully bring some more people on like that so you don't hear Aaron McFarlane and I talk to you every week trying to come up with stuff uh, to do all the time, even though I think last week's with the reader questions was pretty good. But uh, I'd like to thank Evan Watkins for coming on. Uh, Signing day is next Wednesday. It should be interesting. So uh, thanks for listening to this, and we'll come back at you with another podcast in a little bit.